Guys, welcome to another episode of the Combat Veteran Breakdown. I am Paul, combat veteran, MMA fighter, and YouTuber. And I, I guess I'm also a podcaster because this is also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and a bunch of other podcast distributors I haven't heard of. But today, right, I wanted to take a look at one of those questions that I get every so often. And, it, you know, a lot of the experiences when I was deployed, right, things that were incredibly routine, people still ask me about. And I realized that, you know, even simple stuff is interesting to people, right? So one of the questions I get sometimes is what, what was your like mission planning cycle? Like what did that look like in general? And I'm not going to get too technical, right? There's uh, of course the uh, whole, they call it the um, TLPs, the troop leading procedures, right? There's an acronym for everything. But this is kind of the broad base of what our sort of operation cycle looked like as a platoon leader in Afghanistan. So for a little bit of context, I was the platoon leader for the, actually the entire 12 months of my deployment of a military police platoon in uh, RC East in Nangahar province. And Military police platoons are exceptionally large by army standards. There are 40 soldiers. Uh, that is, that's actually the size of a cavalry unit company. So we're really looking at a much, much larger element than most, uh, most platoon leaders deal with. And because you have 40 soldiers, and at the time, the uh, U.S. Forces Afghanistan regulation was that you with a tiny number of exceptions, cannot leave the wire with less than 16 soldiers. And that was basically a regulation to make sure that you had the enough people that even if you took a fair amount of casualties, you could still fight and recover and uh, you know extract yourselves from a bad situation. You could kind of self-support. And that's a, actually a pretty good rule you know, there were a couple of exceptions for like very small sort of teams and, and I imagine some like, you know, special forces, counterterrorism type stuff. But even those guys uh, would usually come to play in force. So given that regulation, we ended up with two maneuver elements, two 20 person um yeah, elements that could actually leave the wire and do missions simultaneously. So as a company, as a platoon leader, right, having three or two independent maneuver elements was a significant change from what I was trained, right? I was trained that usually platoons maneuver and fight together and that you don't have to deal with separate, uh, separate elements doing separate missions simultaneously until you're at that, that company commander level. But, you know, you, you adapt pretty easily to that sort of thing. So generally what would happen, uh, oh, another regulation at the time was that they, uh, the commander of U.S. forces Afghanistan wanted to see battle space owners. That was our mission. We were what's called a battle space owner, meaning that we were the military unit in charge of our area of operations. We were the... Um, we, we owned that chunk of the battlefield. And if you entered or exited, you had to tell us about it. We had overall say over what happened in our area. Um, did it always work out like that? Nah, not really. It, you know, there were some people who were better connected and, and would pop in and out of our area really without telling us. 
uh, which which was sometimes problematic but the point was was that we were expected to be you know f fighting the war in its totality in our assigned area and for me that was um in uh at first it was six provinces and then after the surge in 2010 it dropped to three um which was which is probably for the best we weren't really going to be able to be effective in across six province six uh districts excuse me six provinces yeah that's like half the war no across uh six districts and then it later dropped to just three districts two of which were really strategically important and one less so and so what we would do is is the the regulation was you have to put it out, out 10 combat patrols a week and for per platoon right so that's pretty easy that's one five days a week a daily patrol basically and then they also required a um like a, an overnight mission so 24 to 48 hours of continuous pseudo continuous operations we would continuously be outside the wire but we couldn't we couldn't operate any faster than the afghans and ultimately like if the afghan army or afghan police or afghan border police didn't want to patrol at 2 a.m then like the patrol just wasn't going to happen so you know the op tempo was sort of dictated by the host nation forces so uh yeah it, typically we would do something like um we would probably do i would say two days of like base defense per Per platoon uh, or per squad right because we also had it so that our fob could be defended by basically one one 16 man um uh maneuver element and so yeah you would do about two days where that was your mission you would do obviously another five with combat patrols and the mix would vary right some weeks would be really base defense heavy some days would be really patrol heavy um and you know the 10 was we always hit our metric of 10 with you know some of them coming during these 24-hour missions but we would usually finagle it right we don't we'd almost always have to finagle it somehow right there was always something we had to cover for someone else Oh, you also would do one day of um, QRF. You would be the designated quick reaction force. So you had to be ready to go at a moment's notice and you would be sort of like on call. So your vehicles had to be ready. You would pre-submit your patrol plans. And so you quickly see that that the it's it, there are a lot of different things pulling your troops in different directions and this is this is sort of where you make your money as a platoon leader is figuring out how to make all these missions in different ways at different times so you could sit there so there were type days where i was like hey this week we have so much base defense and we have so much qrf duty that in order to make our 10 patrols we're literally going to do like 48 hours straight of just like the the counterinsurgency equivalent of like a subathon right just like 48 hours and we're going to get like six patrols in right so that way two days and you've done most you've you've gotten most of the way to make a mission but it, it, yeah so it's hard to say that there was one typical patrol or one typical combat operation uh protocol but here's sort of what it looked like in broad terms so at the you know we're gonna say sundays sundays they would say hey it's time to submit your patrol um your patrol plan for the week and i would sit there and i would basically select times 
at random. I would just pick them out and stick them on a calendar. And the reason I would do it completely at random is so that any enemy forces would struggle to lay ambushes for us, right? If they knew, for example, every day you left at 9 a.m. sharp and returned at 5 p.m., well, they would know that basically they want to plant an IED at, at about noon, and when you come back at 5, you'll run it over. And so to prevent that, you just have to totally randomly mix up the times you're going to patrol. The problem, of course, is that every patrol had to be joint. You had to do it with the Afghan army, the Afghan border patrol, or the Afghan police, or a combination of the, of the three. And so you would give them an appropriate amount of notice usually, so sometimes a few hours, sometimes up to a day. The, where we were, the Afghan army was the most reliable partner by far, which meant that they both needed the least help, right? So, but they were also the most available. So we could pick up the phone with two hours notice and they would mount up in their trucks and send us a couple of, you know, six to eight guys that would be actually ready and willing to fight. The Afghan border police also were tough, but they were not interested in patrolling. Um, and they were, you know, they could definitely fight, but they preferred to do so in their fortified uh, border patrol bases. And then the Afghan police were by far the most, like, kind of, I mean, they were the most crooked and the least willing to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with um, enemy forces. But they obviously needed the most help because they were the law enforcement for their uh, districts, right? They were the the arm of the government that regular Afghans were most likely to interact with. So it really was a problem that they were also the least professional and the least motivated. But obviously you would have to disclose to them with some level of notice when you wanted guys for a patrol. So you would set that schedule, right? You would consider when you were going to notify different elements or who you were going to do it with. Usually what you wouldn't do is give away your whole patrol schedule to uh, the Afghans once you made it, right? You would want to keep it close hold. Again, in case that information leaked to the enemy, you don't want the enemy to be able to um, get, get your schedule seven days ahead of time, right? It takes a long time sometimes to plan uh, an operation regardless of, of whose side you're on and so the less lead time you can give them in the event your intel leaks the better now obviously you make this schedule and then you try to deconflict it with the other platoons your other missions the base defense stuff right and you add that onto your schedule and you push the patrols to the left or to the right in order to make sure you're achieving the other uh, missions that are out for you right so you get that and then you produce basically a schedule for the week of what you intend to do. Now, obviously, any given day, any given moment, you can always get uh, retasked. You can always get additional missions. Um, those range from, you know, 12 hours notice, hey, you're going to be supporting a major DEA operation. You're going to be supporting the Navy SEALs or the SAS on some sort of uh, high value target that they, you know, it's real hush hush. And you're going to just have to like, your orders are like stage at this area. Um, you'll expect to see five, you know, X number of, of rotary wing aircraft enter an objective 
if you get this call on the radio, proceed to this objective and turn your radios to this frequency. Like it was, it was really very like hush hush stuff and very, you know, but for us, it usually just meant you had to go to this point, uh, this random grid coordinate, you would camp out, um, and just await, await orders. And we rarely ever got that right. Rarely did things get so go so sideways. Um, actually, I don't think it ever happened. I don't think we ever saw one of those type of operations uh, go sideways, which makes sense, right? They're, they're very well planned. They're very well resourced. And we were there as just a just in case type deal. But, you know, you still that doesn't mean you don't try to make a plan for your week. So that's what we would do. We would put that plan out, right? Usually once a week, again, we'd have these 24 hour missions and we would distribute that to the troops via the squad leaders, right? The squad leaders would make the individual plans for those maneuver elements. They would decide, hey, who is available? Who needs, you know, we tried to give our soldiers one day off a week, and that's a chance to just, you know, decompress a little bit, take care of college courses, do correspondence courses. Um, you know, they want, we want to give them a predictable schedule so they could tell their wife or kids or, or spouse or whoever that, hey, this is the time I'm going to call, make sure you guys are available, right? So you want to give them a, predict, a predictable schedule. So the squad leaders would look and they would decide, okay, who's going to go on these individual patrols? Who's going to be off on what days? Um, and they would sort of start the logistical planning process around assigning like individual soldiers to individual missions. Now for me, what I would do is, you know, you wake up the next day, you'd know, okay, patrol leaves at this time. And I would walk back usually about five, four to five hours. And first thing I would do is wake up, I would get some food, I'd get some coffee, I would shower. And then I would go into the talk and I would get the latest intelligence update on the area we were going to go. And usually these were products produced at the battalion or brigade level. And they basically were functionally like a newspaper with really nice maps. They would give you all the latest confirmed and unconfirmed intelligence. And they would really help you understand what was the most up-to-date threat picture that you had, that you were facing. Right. While this was going on, my uh, NCOs were, 